Folks, welcome to episode 3390 of the Survival Podcast, uh, audience questions and answers for 10-10-23. We did have a uh, rewind yesterday. I had some legal paperwork crap. It wasn't a big deal or anything. Just had to leave the house to do it, and that took several hours out of the day and just made it easier to do. Uh, the rest of this week, we're on a four-show schedule now, so we should be fine. Uh, I'm going to do a show today, obviously. I'll be doing a show for you guys tomorrow. And Thursday, we'll have the expert counsel show. Uh, next week, I think we'll do a four-day week next week, too. And I think the day that I won't be working is Monday because I'll be driving back from uh, Camden, Tennessee. So I was thinking about that today, and do I put up a rewind for that? And since we've gone to a four-day work week, we'll just make Monday the day off next week, and we'll get back to regular scheduled programming after that. And then the workshop will come, and... There'll be lots of rewinds, and then we'll get back to the regularly scheduled programming, and then the holidays will come, and then it'll be next year. That's just the way it's going to be. Anyway, what do we got today? Um, I thought about doing a specific subject today instead of this multifaceted show, but one of the things that I figure I, I need to talk about because I'm getting tons of emails about it is what's going on in Israel. I don't want to do a whole show on that. God knows there's enough of that coverage on the TV set. So we'll talk about that today. And that sets us up for a multi-part show where we stick to kind of going in the format of what's going on in the world and then more practical down to earth, self-sufficiency, self-reliance topics. So when we talk about that, we'll get through that. Then we'll talk a little bit about why I think a recession is inevitable at this point and some of the indicators and why this will be maybe the worst recession we've ever experienced ever Ever. Am I including the Great Depression in that? Uh, no, because it's the same but different. We're in a different world than we were during the Great Depression, and it will never look the same as the Great Depression. I'm not saying it won't be as bad. I'm saying it will never look the same. We'll explain it when we get there. Uh, then we're going to move into stuff that's more in the realm of the practical, what do we do to feed ourselves stuff, and some of the problems that are out there and what can be done to make them better. I have a question on using industrial poultry waste as a soil amendment and an article about how it's being done. I've actually never heard of it being a problem in this way before, but apparently it is a thing. And I'll tell you what I think should be done to fix the problem that they're trying to solve here, which is what do we do with all this waste and how do we return it to the earth? I'm all about that. Um, a listener uh, suggested an inline water filter for aquatic systems. It's only about 30 bucks. I will uh, uh, talk to you guys about that. And that one's just like, I wanted you to know that this is a thing and that you can get your hands on it, and it's it might be worth having. So one thing I've realized is I do not have that link pulled up, and I'm doing it right now so that when we get to it, I can bring it up for you. Okay. And this is going to be for those of you that are not fortunate like myself, and you want to have a backyard pond or aquatic system or something like that, and you don't want to spend the good Lord's fortune on dechlorinator and dechloraminator, right? The chloramine, which is a bigger problem than the chlorine, because it doesn't just dissipate with the atmosphere the way the chlorine will. And so this is an inline filter specifically to deal with that. And this person says they've used it for a number of years and have never lost a fish doing water changes. So I think that's a great thing, or water additions. Uh, and then I have one person asked me three questions and did it so bullet point well, I decided to answer all three of them. 
Uh, one was, why don't I worry about TikTok as to China and the CCP? Another was, how did I find out about Noster? Because the only place they've ever heard about Noster is here and from me. That's a really quick one, so I thought I'd do it. And then I thought this was just a great question, even though we did a show recently that kind of addressed this. How do I use the Internet to discern between legitimate info, slick propaganda, and total loon nonsense? Those are my words. I thought it made it more entertaining than the way they asked the question, a lot more uh, politically correct. Anyway, uh, thoughts on choosing a lever action rifle as well. This person's kind of, I think, anyway in their head between a 4570 and a 44 Magnum. I own both in lever guns and in uh, single shots and in some other options as well. Uh, so I'll tell you why I think this is a, like, it's whatever you want, but I would not do one over the other because I'm afraid I don't have enough power or I need more power or I'll have too much power or anything like that. And then we have a question on dealing with algae in an Azola growing system. And I'll tell you why that shouldn't really be a problem. And we'll see what we can do to address that concern. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is JM Bullion. I am, of course, a Bitcoin bull. I believe that Bitcoin is the best investment for your long-term capital as there is right now. I also am not a person that believes in all the eggs going in one basket. I'm also a person that believes fully in true diversity of investing. And silver and gold have a multi-thousand-year history of holding value and being used as money. Uh, so I recommend about 5% of your net wealth in silver and or gold. And I recommend you do that over time through a dollar cost averaging strategy instead of just taking 5% of your net wealth and dumping it all in at once. Buy-in across time has proven to be a great way to invest in many things, including silver and gold. Why Jam Bullion? Well, they've sponsored the show for over a decade. They do a discount for MSB members. They do free shipping on orders, all orders over $200. And I can immediately get in, in touch with the president of the company if need be. So check them out today, Jam Bullion. And as we head into the holiday seasons, remember that it's a hell of a lot better of a gift for your kiddos to get them some silver and gold rounds and explain what they're really all about to them uh, than to, uh, to get them some plastic piece of crap that they'll get rid of. Just think back to all the crap that you were given as a kid by aunts, uncles, moms, dads, everything like that. And how much of it do you remember and how much of it do you still have? But I bet you if they'd given you silver and gold, you'd either have it or you would have cashed it in by now and done something with it as an ROI on the investment. Next up today is K9 Academy, Joe Riles. He's a great dude. He's actually a personal friend as well. And he put together like what I think is the best online training platform for humans. K9 Academy is for your dog. No, it's for you. You are the most difficult thing to train. If you ask anyone who trains dogs for a living, what is the most difficult species to work with? They'll say the humans are. If you train the human, the dog just works out. So you can find your perfect course at K9 Academy. You can get an annual plan, a monthly plan, or just the core basics plan. And then there's other options as well. Definitely check it out at K9Academy.us. But I would appreciate it if you would use my link when you go to sign up at K9 Academy. Uh, that will track that I'm actually the one sending Joel the business, and that's kind of important in the way that we've set this up. Anyway, with that, let's dig into this. Let's start off with my thoughts on Israel. And I don't know that this is really important, that 
what Jack Spierko thinks matters. Okay. Other than to you guys, because you're in my audience and you tend to want to know what I think about things. But here's, here's where I'm at on this. Some of you, because of my long issued stance on the issue with Ukraine and Russia may think that I'm going to turn around here and make a case for why the Palestinians aren't hundred percent wrong. You would be wrong. I do think that you can certainly make a case that there are bad things that have been done on both sides of this. But just to be abundantly clear, when people go to a concert and shoot unarmed civilians in cold blood, when people walk through the streets murdering people's husbands and fathers in front of them, raping women, shooting dogs because, well, why not? I might as well kill the dog, too. Setting civilians' houses on fire, etc. They are scum. They are scum. And whatever happens to them, I have not an ounce of pity or sympathy. Just And the only reason I come out with that, right, the only reason I come out with that from the beginning is so that anything I say after this, you can't say that I'm condoning it or anything else like that, okay? These people... And I'm, what I'm talking about here are the actual people that are actually involved either directly or indirectly as leaders, commanders, etc. Whatever happens to them, I'm okay with. You can look up what it was to kill haul somebody. It's one of the most gruesome things that one human group of humans has ever done to others. It involves oceans and ships and barnacles. And I would be okay with them being kill hauled. I guess I got to explain it because most people here won't know what keel hauling. Keel hauling was they would take a person and tie a rope on them and drag them underneath the ship where the barnacles were and scrape them along the underside of the ship. That's pretty gruesome. I'm okay with it. All right. Now let's go with the rest of it though. The timing of this is extremely suspicious. And I am always back to who benefits here. Does Hamas benefit from this? Do the Palestinian people benefit from this? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I think starting a fight with Israel is a really bad idea. And I think that any belief whatsoever that anybody from the United States government can reach out to Israel and say, hey, guys, calm down, man. It's going to be all right. Don't don't go bloodthirsty. It's, it's insane. And I think anybody that ever believed that it could be done is just stupid and insane. Like, this is one of those things, like, you started a fight with the wrong fucking people. But I think that Hamas knows this. So what's really, I don't know, I don't pretend to know what's going on here. I don't pretend to know the answers to the questions I'm asking. I'm just asking them because they need to be asked. What's really going on? Who's really behind this? People say Iran is behind this. I can make a case that maybe Iran could benefit because Israel and Saudi Arabia are like this close to like formalizing a completely benevolent relationship with each other. I don't see anything that prevents that from happening because of this stuff. I don't know. Did Iran have something to do with it? Probably. Did it help that Brandon just gave him $6 billion? No, that probably helped them to buy shit. But they didn't use that money. Oh, that's the stupidest argument ever. Uh, uh, Scooty is here in the chat, right? Scooty's here in the chat. If I give Scooty 
$5,000, and he's going to like buy drugs this month. And I say, don't buy drugs with the $5,000, Scooty. He goes, okay, I won't. And even if we had a CBDC and I can track that th that $5,000 was not spent on drugs, but Scooty goes out and buys $5,000 worth of drugs with other money Scooty had, he just uses that money now to do the things he had to do with the money. So I don't see that as any kind of assurance. By the way, when Brandon took over, they lifted sanctions on the Iranians that Trump had put in place. This is not pro-Trump. This is just pro-fact. And Iran has profited to about the tune of $60 billion since that was lifted. So the $6 billion that happened in August, September, kind of chump change. I think the overall stance would have more to do with an emboldening Iran. But here's my bigger thing. I am always suspicious of things lining up on a timeline in a way that's like, oh, that's interesting, but it's just a coincidence. I don't know that there are coincidences in things this dynamic and complex. So last week, the Republicans threw the swamp thing, Kevin McCarthy, out on his ass. And my only critique of that, by the way, would be whenever I fired someone, I had already picked their replacement before I fired them if the job they were doing was kind of important. Yeah, like I already figured out, like, who are we going to put in this place? Like, that would be my critique on that. But McCarthy gets the bounce. And the next thing that happens is we realize there's two front runners for speaker. Two and only two. Jordan and Scalise. And I would say if you I don't really do politics, but if you said, Jack, you get to pick, I would pick Jordan over Scalise. Scalise and Jordan are both upgrades over McCarthy. Um, Jordan is far more conservative, far more libertarian, far more has a bigger spine, I think, on some things. But either one of them would be an upgrade. And both of them have indicated the following. The open checkbook policy with Ukraine is done. We're not doing this anymore. No more open checkbook. No more money. I think Jordan has pretty much said, not another dime. And Scalise is more like, no money without oversight and explanation, et cetera, right? So the checkbook is cut off. And let's be honest, like, this nonsensical shit about, they're going to make Trump speaker. You're dumber than stupid, all right? You are down to the bone stupid if you think Donald Trump's going to be speaker of the House. By the way, I don't think the constitutional path is clear for that like some people think because – Here's just a little civics lesson, modern civics lesson. Something that's never been tested. Well, people will say, and they're correct about this, the Constitution does not specifically specify that the Speaker has to come from the body that is the House of Representatives. So you think it could be anybody, right? It could be anybody, yeah? Except if you read the actual entire Constitution, which is the contract, and the whole contract matters, not just the piece you're looking at. It specifically states that the ability to legislate exists solely within the uh, Congress. So within the House, it exists within the House. So if you did bring an out, not Trump, anybody, me, it, I don't know, the Republicans lost their mind. They're like, we want Jack Spierko to be Speaker. Okay, bitches, let's go, right? First law that was passed that the opposition didn't like would immediately see a challenging court, 
as being not properly legislated because I was not elected to the House. And I, I think that would play out. Anyway, back to the thing. New speakers, both of them, only two real chances, in my opinion, are Scalise and Jordan. Both are like closing the checkbook. Same week, that weekend, explodes in Israel. Hamas punches Israel in the nose, knowing full well what's coming, absolute hell unleashed on earth. And I will say this too, keep in mind what I said at the beginning of this segment, Israel will commit absolute fucking atrocities now. They will. They already have. And it will get worse. Their minister or director of defense or whatever like that basically said they acted like animals. We're going to treat them like animals. They have cut off all electricity, all water, all food into Gaza Strip. 100%. It's under siege. This is entirely predictable if you do what they had done. So the people that are really behind it must have a plan for what to do now. And they don't give a shit about their own people. They don't care how many of their own civilians are going to get killed. Here's the defense of Israel. The number one contributor to foreign aid to the Palestinian people, uh, not just Gaza, but um, other territory as well, has been Israel. They've given them billions of dollars. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And the people that have received the money have done nothing with the money to improve the lives of the people the money's supposed to be for. Nothing. The Gaza Strip is about the size of the city of St. Louis, Missouri. It's about 25% the size of Jacksonville, Florida. It's not that big. There's about 2 million people there, and they've been given billions of dollars annually by Israel and other nations. And they live in squalor. There's a problem there. But there's another side to this. U.S. intervention is not necessary. We do not need to get involved with this just like we don't need to get involved with most things. Let's go back to the size again. The Gaza Strip is about the size of the city of St. Louis, Missouri. Israel has one of the most advanced, well-trained, and most lethal militaries on the planet especially relative to the size of Israel. There is nothing that needs to be done in the Gaza Strip or the Golan Heights or even with direct border you know, issues like with Syria or something like that, that Israel is not more than equipped to handle. We do not need to stick our nose into this, and every time the United States sticks its freaking nose in the Middle East, we make things worse. So my stance here is, Scum on one side, somewhat scum on the other side, honestly, and some of the things that are going to be done now, not our business, stay the F out of this. Because my concern here, my concern here, if you think Ukraine had the potential to, to like cascade into a global war, this has more potential. And the reason is the scum from Hamas, what they did, is going to be played on a loop over and over and over and over again. It will invoke rage in people, and it should. But the problem with rage is rage leads to an inability to think, to think. 
And even though I believe most of what's been said, I still do not trust the apparatus to tell me exactly the situation under how it happened, who did it, and where it's going on. Because I remember when I was a young, stupid kid who joined the Army, and I was like, let's go to Iraq and kill some motherfuckers. Because I was told by the media and my own command that the Iraqis were killing people in Kuwait by throwing babies out of incubators into the street. They said that, and it was a lie. I don't trust anything. I don't trust anything. But my gut here is, this could cap, This could just... Because here's what's going to happen, I think. If Iran sticks their nose this much more into it, Israel will bomb the fuck out of Tehran. And I, I really don't think people understand what you're dealing with when you deal with Israel in these types of situations. It was back in the 80s. It was the 70s or the 80s. There was a plane that was hijacked, an Israeli airplane. And it ended up somewhere in southern Africa. Because that's what hijackers did before 9-11. You hijacked a plane, you took it somewhere. They took it the fuck away from Israel. Fast. Because they knew. Like, don't hijack it and have it land in Israel. It was roughly the same amount of time it took for that plane to fly to that airstrip in Africa that Israeli special forces got on their own plane, flew down to this airstrip in Africa, raided the plane, yes, lost some hostages, but killed every fucking hijacker on that plane. They flew into another continent and killed the hijackers dead. And when they lost passengers, they said, okay, sucks. Sucks. But... You won't do that again, will you? And Israel never had another plane hijacked after that. They made it non-profitable to fly. These people do not fuck around. And it was either Netanyahu or like his brother. I don't remember which one. One of them was on the freaking commando team that raided the airplane. These people do not fuck around. And again, there are countries that can be like, we're going to bust ass and you know, someone from our State Department can pick up the phone and say, yeah, we need you to not do that. And they'll say, OK, Israel's not that. That's not who they are. So if if Iran and Israel start going at it. And who knows how close Iran really is to nuclear weapons versus what we've been told. There's potential for this much larger conflict to take it take on. And we need to stay out of it because we make it more likely. They're going to take uh, one of the carrier groups and move them in off the coast and sit there. Okay, fine. That might actually be stabilizing. I don't know. But anything more than that, stay out of it, stay out of it, stay out of it. As far as aid to Israel, Israel's an ally. I'm not saying we should cut them off from weapons or anything like that, but they have money. They're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. If they want they want shit, let them buy it. We don't need to be paying for their wars. We don't. And honestly, if we'd stayed out of this, this whole situation in Israel may have been wrapped up long ago. We, we keep telling them what they need to do on both sides. And if you're going to be a third party in a conflict, you need to go in as a mediator. Mediators listen to both sides and, and then they go in the middle and say, this seems reasonable and this seems reasonable. They don't dictate to both sides what they need to do. That does not work. That is not diplomacy. And it's what we've been doing. I'm going to leave it. I just say we need. I, I, here's my thing, guys. 
I get a lot of pushback when I come out of any war. And it's weird because for 15 years I've been saying I'm already against the next war. And everybody's okay with it until the next war comes. And then I actually meant what the fuck I said. We need to stay out of this. This has the potential to be World War III for real. Now, somebody said here that Russia benefits from this. To some degree, they might. All the focus is there. But this is why I think this is this is a psyop. It doesn't mean it's not real. When I say something's a psyop, there was a phrase that began almost instantly, and now it's being used by everybody. This is Israel's 9-11 moment. We all know what came after 9-11. And I'm not talking about the wars. I'm talking about the war on freedom and liberty and privacy. And I see this just being used all over again. Since this happened, now we have to. We got the Freedom Act and the Patriot Act in America after World War, after 9-11. Where do you see what comes from this? And it will be here, too. And they'll explain to us why we have to have it here, too. All right. Um. And Cossum 17 says it was uh, BB's brother who was on that raid. So it was his brother. I couldn't remember which one it was. Anyway, my point is you fuck with Israel, they fuck you back six times over. That's just how they do business. Um, let's move on to something else. Let's listen about happy, right? How about recession? Yeah. Recession is inevitable. It's coming. Now, let me tell you why recession is inevitable. First reason that recession is inevitable is recessions and booms are cycles in our society and they have been very much integrated in a kind of almost perfect mathematical frequency since 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. It became pretty much a matter of course, about every seven to 10 years we have a significant recession period. So it's really safe to predict recession because if you just keep doing it long enough, you'll get one. And you can say, see, I was right. So I'm going to I'm going to open up with that. But I'm, I'm saying we are heading into a recession right now. In fact, I would say we already are in one. It's just a weird recession. I'll kind of talk about the end of the segment, what I mean by that. But one of my number one reasons for this is the two year versus 10 year U.S. bond yield curve is inverted and has remained inverted now for over a year. Now, yield curve inversion, that's a nice sophisticated economics term that you might hear in college from somebody with a Ph.D., but I think a lot of people don't know what it means. It's actually pretty simple. All it means is that, generally speaking, the longer you tie up your money, the more interest you get for it. So if you think about it from the other side when you're a buyer, if you go to buy a house and you do a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage, you generally get a lower interest rate on the 15-year mortgage. The payment will be higher, but the interest rate will be lower because you're asking the lender to tie their money up for 15 versus 30 years. You go to buy a car, you'll generally have a higher interest payment on a five-year car note than a three-year car note. Perfect sense. So when you take it the other direction, you become the investor. You go to the bank. A six-month CD will generally pay less interest than a five-year CD because you're tying your money up for longer. Simple to understand. So you'd think if I went and bought a U.S. Treasury 
and I bought a two-year treasury, it would pay me less interest than a 10-year treasury. That'd be a standard yield curve versus an inverted yield curve. Yeah? Okay. Right now, you get more money to buy a two-year treasury than a 10-year treasury. About 85% of the time that this has happened at all, even for an instant, we've ended up soon after with an 18 to 24 months in a recession. We're coming up on almost 18 months already from this. We have avoided it before. We've never stayed in this inversion this long and not had a recession. So that's just a, a, a standard recession indicator. And I think that what we're doing right now is hiding a recession. And like I said, I'll get to that. But we have other issues. In fiscal year 23, which we're now in, the interest payments on the debt, the interest payments on the national debt, $640 billion. $640 billion. In the next 10 years, that number, and this is an annual number, not a cumulative number. This is every year. By 2033... The projections are right now that our interest on the debt will be $1.4 trillion. That number is bigger than Social Security annually. That number is bigger than the entire Department of Defense. $640 billion is more than 100% of all discretionary spending within DOD right now. So the number we're at already exceeds all discretionary spending within the Department of Defense. All the money within DOD that we can choose to spend or not to spend. Not And, and, and discretionary here does not mean, oh, if we don't have this, the Russians will bomb us. Discretionary means it's not somebody's pension. It's not a debt we've already incurred. It's not money we've already signed a contract for. It's money that we could choose not to spend. So we already exceed that. We're already close to this number matching what we pay in Social Security. And Social Security is near bankrupt. And we've spent over $200 billion, when you look at the real numbers versus their numbers, on Ukraine. Just Ukraine. We've depleted our weapons stockpile. Europe, the EU, and NATO have drastically depleted their weapons stockpile. So we don't have money or weapons, and we're poking people into starting a war. This is, we are incredibly weakened in this state, and yet we're rambling on about Taiwan and China. Like, as well, we need to invoke uh, a conflict with another nuclear power. None of this is good, but what it, where it puts you at is a place where you can talk shit, but you can't actually do what you're talking shit about. We are literally, and it's kind of funny that we have this much debt we owe, right? Writing checks... Our, our, our mouth is writing checks. Our ass can't cash. Okay? At this point, that's where we're at. $1.4 trillion in interest. And here's the thing. $640 billion? Last year, the interest on the debt was, if it's $640 this cycle, what do you think it was last cycle? Anybody here in the... Uh, yeah, and, and Hector is right. Unfunded liabilities are exceeding $194 trillion. Those are bills we're going to have to pay that we know we don't have the money for. That's $109. By the time, that's till 2050, the unfunded liabilities, $194 trillion. So that means that the minimum amount of debt that we can add 
the minimum amount of debt we can add between now and 2050 is $194 trillion. Is anybody seeing a problem with that? Are you sorry? But anyway, I'm going to back to you. If it's $640 billion was the interest on the debt this year, what do you think the interest on the debt in fiscal year 22 was? See, something happened. It's not just the debt went up, the interest rates went up. It was 300 and something billion last year. The interest payments on the debt damn near doubled to this fiscal year. We don't have this money. We don't have this money. There is no amount of taxing the wealthy that will ever raise this much money. This much money doesn't exist. There are not 32 trillion U.S. dollars in existence, which is what the debt is. There's more debt than dollars. And look at what's happened to people. People have been destroyed by this. And no matter what experts say, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, right? You can believe it or not believe it. I'm telling you right now, that motherfucking debt is not real. No, okay. Um, We are crossing into a buyer's market in real estate. Nothing, if you look at the surface, would indicate that is true right now at the, right now at the surface, right? But we're, it's turning there. And you can begin to see it turn right now. Right now. I'm stuck on that for some reason, right? You can begin to see it turn by simply, if you do what I do, which is I window shop real estate all the time. I do it for things that I might actually want to buy. And I do it for a dreaming, you know, like owning six million acres or something like that. But the biggest reason I do it is it is one of the best pulses that you can check on the economy. I try to check our economy the way a Chinese medical practitioner checks pulses. So if you are an American doctor and instructed in allopathic medicine, you take a pulse, two fingers on the wrist or two fingers on the neck, and you basically feel a little bit about the strength of the pulse. Basically, you're looking at what, how many times is a heart beating per minute? Can I feel the pulse? Is it strong? Is there any irregularities in it? That's about it. A Chinese practitioner will use three fingers from each hand, so six total fingers, and take a pulse. Now, this is traditional Chinese medicine in three locations on both wrists simultaneously. And they're looking for a whole bunch of shit that American doctors are not looking for. I try to do that with the economy. Instead of looking at one thing, you know, what the yield curve is or whatever, look at multiple facets and get a feeling about the way things are trending before you actually see it in the numbers. And you got to realize the numbers that you're looking at, they will say these are the most current numbers. Well, they're 90 days old minimum. They're last quarter's numbers. They're not today's numbers. And when I, when I take the pulse of society by looking at real estate, how many listings they are, how long properties have been listed, the trend in price on listing, the amount of concessions sellers are willing to make to close the deal. And Tom says he's seeing the tide turn in South Florida, too. Way up 300 to 600% in many cases, people are dropping insurance and banks can't keep up on enforcement. 
So now that's an interesting thing. What he's saying there is people are just saying, I can't afford my property insurance and pay for the property. Of course, the lender says you have to have insurance on the property. They're just telling the the, the insurance company, I'm not paying you anymore. You better not charge me because I'm not going to pay you. And they're dropping their insurance. Now, something happens to the house. It's not insured. But how can the bank afford to enforce the insurance requirement? When you're asking them for a loan, they can easily say, no insurance, no mortgage for you, right? No mortgage for you. Get out. But once you have, see, remember the old saying, if if I owe you $1,000, I have a problem. But if I owe you $10 million, you have a problem. You have a problem. Like, I could just not pay you. I already spent the money. It's gone. What are you going to do? I'll sue you. I don't have anything anymore. So you have a problem. You've extended so much credit to me that you have the problem. Well, the banks are in this situation where if they start to enforce things that cause foreclosures, they create their own problem in a foreclosure crisis. So the bank finds out you don't have insurance on your home. They'll send you a letter and all, but if you're paying the bill, You see what I mean? If you're paying the bill, it's a tough call. And then how many people are doing it? So this is shifting and it's going to shift. And I'm starting to hear it in advertisements. See, instead of just looking at papers and numbers, I pay attention. So the people that are in the real estate business that sell and buy houses, their tone is changing right now. Right now, okay? It's changing right now, and that's indicative of what's coming. So as that shift happens, we end up in this position where as people need to sell, they can't sell because people can't qualify to buy. And sooner or later, people die, lose jobs, have to move, etc. They have to sell. And there right now has been a shortage of inventory relative to buyers. Well, that's about to change. And it's going to be bloody when it happens because of everything that they did leading up to this. And the municipalities did it, too, with this minimum uh, square footage bullshit so they could protect their tax base. This is all a giant crescendo of explosive bullshit diarrhea. This is financial diarrhea about to go down. Put it to you that way. Um, And then there's no plan to do anything differently. There's no plan. There's the politicians don't have a plan to to fix it. As far as the debt, the real estate problems, interest rates, the Fed doesn't have the Fed's doing it. The Fed caused it and now they're making it worse. You know, I say, well, it's got to get worse before it gets better. But you made it worse in the first place, assholes. They could have left interest rates at a reasonable level for the last 10 years, which is about 4 to 5% for mortgages. I know it seems high because we all got underneath there for a while. That's a Think about what you're being asked to do. You're rich, and I come to you, and I want you to tie your money up for 30 years on a, on a, on a loan to me to buy a house. And I want to give you 2% interest. Of course you don't want to do that. Of course you don't want to do that. But now we're looking at 8% interest with property values artificially inflated 
by 10 years of sub 4%. Yeah, it's a bit of a problem. And there's no plan to do anything different. And I think this is a recession with fake growth and false employment numbers right now. I want you to think about it this way. If you have a couple and the recession comes, and like let's say one member of the couple is making 60% of the income and the other uh, member of the couple is making 40 and the person that was making the least money, the 40% loses their job, they're not completely sunk, but they have a real problem. And we would call it, if that happens a lot, we'd call that a recession. Yeah, I mean, everybody has, your how, average household income is cut by 40%. Okay. <laughs> if the cost of living has gone up by 40%, beyond what wages have gone up, aren't we in the same position? Just because both sides are, in fact, it's worse, isn't it? If both spouses are working, there's additional expenses in there that they would they might be better off had we not had the inflation simply having the 40 percent earner lose their income because then they're home. They can deal with the kids. They can figure out something else to do with their time. Maybe they can make some side money. But if they're both working full time, killing themselves and their spending powers down by 40 percent, it's a far worse effect than simply 40 percent of the income being gone. This is where we're at. Uh, Food Forest Farm says, yep, wife's losing her job by Christmas company folding publishing industry. Surprised they're still in business. Tough business to be in right now. Sorry to hear that, though, man. But I think right now we're in a position where all of the FUD has been, like, the media is telling you that things are not that bad because the Democrats are in power. If Donald Trump was in, was president right now, I believe that you would hear the word recession every tenth word on, on the mainstream media out of their mouth. Recession, recession, it's a recession, it's a recession, it's a recession. But since the Democrats are in power and since the freaking mainstream media is literally, they're not just water carriers, they're the freaking aqueduct of the Democrat Party, because that's the case, they keep lying to you. And, and there's a big emotional component to this. Once people accept the word recession, then they start acting like they're in a recession and you, the effects become more rapid and more dramatic. Well, there's only a matter of time before that happens. And the worse things get while the phony shields are up around the ship saying everything's super, when they come down, the worse the calamity. And I honestly think this could be the worst recession we've ever seen. I, I really do. I think it might make the 08-09 period look like a day at fucking Disneyland because of how much is wrong. How much? And America does have enemies and adversaries. And if I'm an American adversary, this is what I'm going to strike. And that doesn't necessarily mean bombing something. You know, if I'm the BRICS nations, this might be when I expand and add another 12 countries and I start making deals. Oh, you want to be part of BRICS? Then you have to settle in something other than the dollar Unless there's no alternative. Unless you're dealing with America, then we understand. And we'll sanction. We're going to sanction the whole fucking world? We can't even make our own fucking penicillin in this country. We're going to sanction China? It's all nonsense. All right. Let's move on and talk about something a little bit different. Let's talk about poultry waste. Right? 
I mean, where else are you going to get this much variety in your programming, guys, that we can talk about also? So this was something I actually had not heard of before in this way. I got an email today from a guy, and he said he was having a debate with his father-in-law, his father, his brother. I don't remember who. But they make this uh, fertilizer product, I guess you'd call it, out of pol- industrial poultry waste. Now, this is not just chicken shit. This is really what this is, is everything that's left from the chicken after the chicken has been eviscerated and packaged and sent to you uh, in a supermarket. Like So this is bones. This is uh, intestines, et cetera. Now, I thought most of this actually ended up in dog food. Um I know there's some products out there that have feather meal or bone meal or blood meal in them, or you can buy those things individually that come out of this same system. But I thought most of it ended up in pet food. Well, apparently there's a process where a lot of this stuff is simply chopped up into this nasty, gross, disgusting crap, dried out, made into pellets. And then if you're watching the video, you'll see this machine. You see those things that almost look like, you know, octopus tentacles coming down to the ground there, what they do is they actually shove the pelletized chicken waste into the ground to amend the soil. Now, what you need to understand is that they have gotten this stuff uh, listed as an industrial byproduct and instead of an industrial waste product. Yeah, And what that means is it's not treated as what it is, waste. If it was treated as waste, it would need to be disposed of. But in this case, it it can now be just stuck in a field where you grow your food. And what ends up happening is the people that live near the place where it's applied smell the rotting, decaying flesh smell. Now, if you've ever heard this, or if you've ever smelled rotting, decaying flesh, anybody here ever have a deep freezer go out on you and not find it until it's too late, and when you open it, all the food's rotting in there? It is one of the most noxious, disgusting, gut-wrenching things you can smell. I think that there's a natural inclination away from the smell of death for anything that has ever been a prey animal, and we have certainly been both predator and prey in our walk as a species. And so death is danger, right? Like you kill something, you eat it. You don't eat it after it's rotted on the street. We're not vultures. So what has to be happening here is that nothing is being done with this other than drying it out so it'll stick together as a pellet. And when it gets in the ground and it gets rehydrated, basically that flesh is rotting. And the individual that sent this to me thought this could work. Oh, it can work, but not like this. This, this, I am not okay with. This, I do not think is uh, acceptable. I don't think that we're not without major risk of contamination of, you know, pathogens in this situation. The way that this, I mean, the salmonella load in a poultry facility is ridiculous based on the way we do things today. It's, it's why a lot of backyard producers deal with so much shit by people in the government that are actually well-meaning because they can't conceive of the fact that you mean your chicken's not 65% contaminated with salmonella? 
you you don't need to dunk your chicken into Clorox. Why? Well, how does that work? Well, we don't do what you do, so it doesn't work the way that it works for you. Uh, so this is just a really nasty product. Now, I think, obviously, I would like to change the entire way the agricultural sector works. But I also am a pragmatist. And so if you said to me, Jack, can this be made to work? Yes, it can. And what we need is very simple. Black soldier flies. If we use black soldier fly larva to process this waste into a frost, we get two products. We get black soldier fly larvae that are feed for poultry, feed for reptiles, and in any event, feed for fish. In any event, we get a byproduct, an actual beneficial byproduct, that is a protein source for other things. We get frost, which is a decent fertilizer, and if we took that frost and it's basically black soldier fly larva shit is what frass is. All right, it just sounds better than maggot manure. If we put that straight into the field, it's a good fertilizer. It does have still some cross-contamination risk, and it is not in an optimal form for the plants to use right away. But if we were to put the frost through earthworms or compost worms and convert that to worm castings, we get an extremely valuable fertilizer and another product that can either be sold or used as a protein source. And so to me, to make this work, that would be your progression. Chicken waste into soldier flies, into earthworms, two beneficial byproducts, and a compost. And this can be done at every Tyson facility, every Purdue facility, every major, without changing industrial agriculture that much. Except... Wouldn't we then need less inputs for fertility? Yes, we would. And it would be the catalyst of going in the right direction. So I'm sorry to the person that sent this to me. No, I cannot defend the practice that you want me to defend. I can't. If it smells like rotting flesh, it is not ready to be in a field that your food is going to grow in. It's not. It just isn't. And if we can... Get this to a place where it's being, and this is being done. I actually had a guy on the show years ago with Black Soldier Fly working at the industrial level with all this waste product. I also still think that most of it could be converted into pet food, and I think a lot of it is. I didn't know this was even done. All right, moving on, let's talk about this little gadget here. Um, I just found this really interesting. He says he is, the guy that sent me this, and I have a link in the notes today for you guys if you want to get one of these. Garden hose filter removes chlorine, chloramines, VOCs, and pesticides and herbicides. So this is an inline filter, and it's the same size as standard hose and, uh, like, sprinkler fittings. So you can hook up a hose to one side and a sprinkler to the other. If I go down here for you guys in the pictures, you can see this gives more scale on it where what this person did is they took a standard um, hose spray nozzle and put it on one end of it and hooked the hose up to the other end of it, and they water their plants with it, and that way they're not using chlorine and chloramine in their irrigation water. And that would be one use for it. And it seems like the use that most people have been doing, though there was a video of somebody doing it, and this person used the little uh, quick connect. This person used a manifold with it. 
I have seen one kind of negative review that makes sense for it. And what the person said is, I bought this. I don't have the greatest water pressure. I'm like mid-range, but my sprinklers work just fine. I hooked up my hose to this. I hooked the sprinkler up on the other side, and it doesn't have enough power out of the end of the sprinkler for the sprinkler to function properly. I can see that happening as well. But the person that emailed me this is more an aquatics person, somebody with, you know, backyard ponds or things or aquatic systems or aquaponic systems. They said they've been using it three years. They don't do anything to treat their water. They come, they have city water. All they do is run it through this and they have never lost a fish. I think that's fantastic. This would be my concern. I haven't done enough research on this product to know if it has a specific specification for how much water goes through it before it needs to be replaced. As you can see, they're about 40 bucks. I can't see it not being a money saver. I'd like to hear back from the guy that sent it to me as to like how many, how many times you used the same one for three years. How much do you use it? If there's any kind of indication, some filters literally, as they build up, they just simply stop functioning. So very little water comes out the other end or they just stop. And if that's the case, that's fine. So I would just say that you would want to pay attention to its performance levels to make sure that it's still performing the way that you would expect. I may eventually add this to T-SPAS. I'm not going to do it right now because I haven't bought one, so I haven't tested it. And I always try to test the things that I put in T-SPAS. But I did think I would put that out there for you guys because I am lucky. I'm lucky. I've got 3,000 gallons of rain catch, and I've got a well. I got a well that produces, I what, about 10 gallons a minute. So when I need water in one of my systems, I just throw a hose in it and turn it on. And that's probably made me not as much an advocate for you guys as I should be. It's kind of like one of those things, well, I got mine. <laughs> uh, and I've always just said you have to use chemicals to dechlorinate your water if you don't have a well or if you don't have rain catchment. And I've always recommended that if you don't have a well, Put in some rain catchment anyway and try to use that to, to offset the cost. But it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an issue in that if you only have chlorine in your water, you can simply have some tanks that you fill up and let it sit there with a way that it can vent off, and the chlorine will just go away in time. And because that happens, most municipalities use chloramine, which is far more persistent and doesn't just go away. And if you keep adding it to a system because it doesn't just off-gas as easily, it can actually increase over time. So it's an important thing to worry about. Moving on, let's talk about this uh, this lightning round of questions that came to me from one person I thought was really cool because they actually got three questions plus some other stuff into an email that was shorter than most people get their one question into. So I decided to reward them. And I also thought they were interesting questions. One was, please tell us why we shouldn't worry about TikTok and the CCP and Chinese malware and tracking us and whatever. All right. So here's the way I look at it. The main threat that I see coming from TikTok is one, people on the mobile app are being tracked everywhere they go with their app. I don't worry about it because I don't really use the mobile app and I don't, I don't go a lot of places and get tracked. 
if, if you track my phone, if you had like a thing that track, you know, the tracks your phone, like the, the runners put up and it shows the patterns they ran out, it would just simply do this. Like it'd be like, oh, he, he, he stays where he lives. People know where I live anyway. My bigger concern with it is the propaganda nature of it. They, 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 they use the algorithm as a propaganda tool. I think a big way that you deal with that is you follow people that put out the content that you actually want to see. And when you look at TikTok, you go to following, not for you. And if I ever do for you, I'll go through it real quick, maybe follow another person or two and turn it off. And that's the only time that I actually use my phone to look at TikTok, because I think it's where you're far more vulnerable, especially with the way I run my network and everything out of my house. And I'll, I'm not going to go into that today. Why do I use my phone when I look at the stuff that they're suggesting for me? Because, and this is why I think that they definitely would prefer that you use the app versus online. Check this out. Go, go on TikTok. Find somebody you want to follow in a browser. Brave, whatever, right? Click follow. It'll say you're following. Hit refresh. It won't actually stick. So if I see something I want to follow on my computer, I'll pull up my app, I'll find it, I'll follow it, and I'll close the app completely down. I also have the settings so the app's not allowed to track me. I still don't know that I trust that. I don't know. I look at it this way. Like, I'm not going to single out TikTok. And here's the person here. TikTok's a time waster. Who are you following, dude? I only follow people that I value their content. So how's it a time waster if I value their content? This is what I'm saying. Right. You anything can be a time waster. It's up to you what you consume from it. Google can be a time waster. What are you Googling? Why are you Googling shit that's not important to you? Anyway, I find it to be useful. Um, I certainly don't trust it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm just going to say, like, if you're well, they're going to track me. Well, do you use Facebook? Yeah. OK, so they track you. Do you use Twitter? Yes. Yeah, so they track you. Like unless you're taking countermeasures to being tracked in the first place, thinking like not using this one thing will fix it. If you're watching me right now live on YouTube through the app on your phone, guess what? Google, YouTube, your everybody's tracking you. So I, I'm just not that concerned with one specific platform. Now, the other side of it, I am a content producer. I am a marketer. I am a business person. I've said this before. The average person has no need to be on multiple freaking platforms or whatever. I think the average person is going to pick one or two things that they really like the way they consume the data. And my job as a business owner in a brand is to make my content consumable in as many places as possible to reach as many people as possible. So if you don't like TikTok, don't use TikTok. But I'm not going to sit here and freak out about it and then use all this other shit. Yeah. Um, then they asked me how I found out about Noster. Twitter. So if you are a Bitcoiner and you're on Twitter, you can't not know about Noster unless you're very new. There's a lot less talk about it. But when Noster showed up, if you followed Bitcoiners on Twitter, you heard about Noster. Every major Bitcoiner out there was like, I'm on Noster. Here's my pub key. And it just kept hitting me and hitting me till I'm like, I got to check this out. And it's a great way. It's my favorite way to communicate with people in a social media like environment. It's completely independent. It doesn't give a fuck what platform you use. There's sometimes I'll want to do something, and one of the platform, one of the clients, will be bitchy. For instance, like the one I use the most is Snort. I'm on Snort yesterday. I'm trying to upload a little 
45 second video to snort. It won't upload. I don't really like ISIS or Iris. I'm sorry, Iris, I R I S dot I O, I think is, is the client address. But I just jump on Iris. It's the same thing. It's a client. It's like using, it's you've like using Thunderbird instead of Outlook for your email. Yeah. I upload the video there, make my note, send it. And then I go back to using Snort for the rest of the day. And that's what I love about it. When one of the clients has a problem, you just use a different one. If one of them rug pulls you, you just use a different one. It's independent. It's client agnostic. But I found out about it on Twitter. And I found out on Twitter because of Bitcoiners. And it is mostly Bitcoin content. At least it was. I would say now it's probably 50-50. And again, who do you follow? The next question was... Um, how do I use the Internet to discern between legitimate info, propaganda, loon nonsense, etc.? So one of the biggest things I do is I do not trust any source. I don't trust any source. I don't trust Fox. I don't trust CNN. I don't trust MSNBC. I don't trust Fox Business. I don't trust my local news. I don't trust Times of India. I don't trust um, RT. I don't trust, you know, the Times out of UK. I don't trust anybody. I just start out from a standpoint of none of you are trustworthy. And I consume my content from everybody. And then I justify that against what I know and what I assume. And I ask myself if this makes sense. That's that's my beginning. And that will get you through most. I also did a show recently on, you know, making decisions and things like that, that if you listen to, we'll give you a lot of information on that. Um, the next thing that I do with this, though, is I always ask myself the most important question. And we did this when we talked about the Israeli thing. If it's some sort of contemptuous thing and so and so did it. Well, my first question is, who benefits the most from this? Who benefits the most from this? So you can't just use a preponderance of sources to say, well, this is the way things are. Because let's look at like Nordstrom Pipeline, right? When that blew up. Everybody but RT said Russia did it. Okay. So I simply asked myself the question, who benefits the most from the Nordstrom Pipeline being destroyed. And you know who the answer wasn't? The answer wasn't Russia. It just wasn't. There was no way that Vladimir Putin, the Russian oil oligarchs, etc., benefited from the Nordstrom pipeline being destroyed. And I should say, oh, well, it's gas, right? Nordstrom's a gas pipeline. There was no way that Putin or the gas oligarchs of Russia benefited from this. It's a tube. One end of the tube is in Russia. You want gas to go through it, you put gas in the tube, it comes out the other end. You don't want gas to go in the tube. You don't put it in there. doesn't come out the other end. And you still have the tube, and you can put the gas in it later. So from a standpoint of Russia doing it, they would be the people that benefited the least who also did not benefit from it? Germany. The other end of the tube is in Germany. Germany, if they didn't want to buy the gas 
would have said, we don't want to buy your gas. So Germany was under complete control whether they took the liberty of the gas or not. So the two parties on both ends of the tube don't make any sense. So who benefits? The United States benefited because it's our proxy war with Russia who is most adversely affected by it. Ukraine benefited. And then you can't rule out other NATO nations benefiting from it because who knows what we promised them. Remember, the United States is a country that spied on Iceland Way back during the financial crisis and all, I covered it that long ago. We got busted spying on Iceland, an ally, and also not a threat to anything that we want to accomplish anywhere in the world. The United States spied on Iceland. We are not the good guys, guys. So I said the United States had something to do with it, and we probably did it through our proxies, but it wasn't Germany and it wasn't Russia, and I was told I was stupid. But the reality is, you know who's stupid? Anybody that believes Russia did it. Once I lay it out that way, unless you just want to stick your freaking fingers in yours and go, la, 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 Putin's a murderer, right? Unless you're that person, you can't possibly think that Russia blew up their own pipeline. It's not like they had insurance on it, right? Like, if my house burns down and you're a law enforcement person, you might be like, he might have done it himself. You'll start investigating me. Did I owe a bunch of money somewhere? How much did I have the property insured for, et cetera? Maybe I burned my own house down for the insurance money. Yeah. If your investigation's ongoing and you're, you find out that I didn't have insurance and I knew I didn't have insurance, you're probably about to clear me from the suspect list. You'll be like, he doesn't have a house. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have the value of the house anymore. He lost everything he had and gained nothing. He probably didn't do it. That's all I did there. And if you start looking at things that way, you'll be able to discern shit too. It's not that hard. And this is why it's not that hard. They've gotten so sophisticated in the means that they don't pay attention to the how anymore. What I mean by that is they've gotten people so conditioned to just believe what the screen says that they don't worry about looking stupid anymore. They just put it out there and accept, expect that you'll believe it. And they do it because most people do. Most people do. Think about the real-time death counter at the beginning of the COVIDs and people like me going, it's bullshit. Well, why is it bullshit? Because they don't know. Because there's no way to access this information. It doesn't exist. It doesn't make any sense. But when you said it, people came after you and attacked you and said horrible, horrible things about me. Horrible things about me and animals. I mean, like, you know, like they were that angry that I said, this isn't, this isn't real, right? It's not real. It's not real. It never, and no one thinks it was real now. No one's defending it now. But why did people believe it? Because the screen said so and everybody was scared. But if you th- now that you're three years away from it, think about the fact that when you went and you looked at the actual underlying reported data, which has its own problems with overinflation numbers, but when you did, the numbers were always months out being corrected. 
But in the very beginning, when we didn't know anything yet, right, they had real-time numbers rolling like that? Where did that come from? It was a freaking, it was a graphic that they made. I can make a graphic right now, real-time counting of how many times goldfish get fish shit every second. I can just invent numbers and stick them in there. That's what they did. None of this was hard to see, except that we have become so conditioned to believe and trust that we don't. And then they did one other thing to make sure that it doesn't happen. They have bifurcated us into tribes, two primary tribes. They call them liberals and conservatives. I just call them both status of two different flavors. And so when an issue comes out, they will immediately decide it's okay that people believe this or that, but we don't want any of this nuance in the middle. So we'll just figure, and then the politicians are more than happy to play along right now. What is the case being made about Israel and Hamas and all? Oh, it's all Biden's fault. And now we need to go kick some ass. So people that would normally say, wait, wait a minute, like because the conservative population of the country is far more. I didn't say they are non-interventionist. They're far more non-interventionist than the liberal side of the country. So you would have the conservatives being the ones that are more likely to say, yeah, this is horrible, but it doesn't mean we need to get involved. Like Israel's, like I said, Israel's a wealthy country with an extremely powerful military dealing with a territory the size of St. Louis. I think they can handle it. But as soon as it's Brandon's fault, well, now I can get my foam finger out and start waving and chanting USA, USA, and we need to get involved. And that's why I think that's one is more dangerous than Ukraine, because it's going to be easier to sell to the American idiot, the average American idiot, that we need to be involved. Again, I said in Russia, Ukraine, I'm not taking a side. And I'm not. People find that hard to believe because everybody expects you to take a side. In the Israel-Hamas thing, I will take a side. When you rape women and then march them through the streets with blood on their legs after you did it, when you shoot people in cold blood, when you burn a building down with an old lady inside of it because she was too old to be worth taking hostage, like I'm, I will take a side. From a standpoint of like an emotional side or a side that I would say this is a side that I would hope wins this. It still doesn't mean I'm getting involved. If Israel cannot handle this situation, then maybe it's Israel's problem. Maybe Israel's made mistakes and it's not us, uh, up to us to fix. I'm not Nikki Haley. I'm not a warmonger. I, I, I don't think there's a person out there that really believes for a minute, that Israel needs military aid to deal with something like Hamas. But they can still make people get involved, huh? Right? Because when they start chanting USA, and I'm seeing it, you know, this is why people ask me too about the whole TikTok being a time waster and all. I take the pulse of the country and the economy and geopolitics and the mindset of the average idiot on both sides is a big part of taking that temperature because the people that are doing all this shit, they're very sophisticated in the way they are taking that pulse. They know exactly what they're doing because they're trying to manipulate. And I am trying to understand the level of manipulation currently in play and what direction it's taking us.
All right. How about something totally different? Lever action rifle. So dude writes me, says, I've been wanting one of the new Ruger Marlin lever actions in 4570. So my understanding is Ruger bought Marlin, and now Ruger is manufacturing lever guns that are Marlin, but under the Ruger name. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but whatever it is, dude wants one, wants 4570, can't get one. Supply is thin, waiting list, that type of thing. He's considered getting a Henry, but he doesn't know about Henry as to quality. And he mentions a particular Henry model that he looked at as 22. Okay. We're in different worlds. I'm going to tell you, Henry makes great lever action guns. Marlin makes great lever action guns. And I'm sure if Ruger's now manufacturing like in two camps, like Marlin brand and Ruger brand, they're probably the same. <laughs> and they just have a different name on them. But I'm, I'm not sure about that. But they, all of them are great. All of them are great. Browning makes a good lever gun. Winchester makes a good lever gun. They're all, you, you, you will not buy any of those rifles and regret it from a quality of manufacturing standpoint. So they're all fine. Well, he started talking about, he's able to find Marlins, but not in 4570. And that's why I'm thinking that maybe Marlin is making them, um, as Marlin and as Ruger now. He can find Marlins, but only in 44 Magnum. Now, I, I, again, I would deeply encourage you, if you have a particular round that you want to own for whatever reason, and something as prolific as a lever gun, to go to gunbroker.com and open up to buying a used gun. There's a lot of used guns for sale that have never had a rent. They're not even used. They just owned by somebody else. Like they've never been fired. So many people have bought guns and put them in cabinets or they've been in the range once or twice. They have a lifetime of, of use ahead of you. I mean, <clears throat> guns are one of the best manufactured, longest lasting, if cared for properly, things made in the world today. So they're all fine. They're all fine. Now, I will tell you, and I, I don't... I, I don't really know unless Hector here is basically making the case I'm about to make. He said, why 4570 cheaper and more efficient cartridges? Okay, so 4570 ammo is very expensive. It's very expensive, and it's often difficult to find, even when ammo is not in shortage. 44 Magnum is incredibly available, assuming that we're not in the middle of an ammo shortage or something like that. Going on. So from a standpoint of ammo availability, 44 Magnum. Is where I would go. So now I'm like, buy whatever you want. Don't worry about brand. If you like the gun and you like the round, you can buy it and you'll be fine. It, it just make sure it has whatever features are important to you. If you want to be able to mount a scope and you're looking at used guns, make sure you're not going back to a time before they had integrated scope mounting and you're going to have to do something riggedy because there's no reason to do that if you haven't bought the gun yet. Now if we're going to get into 4570 versus 44. If you look on paper, there is no comparison, ballistically, in the 4570 versus the 44 Magnum, in which is a harder hitting round. And if you look at the cartridge, it makes sense, man. The 4570 looks like a little cigar, right? The 44 Magnum looks like a little handgun cartridge that it is. However, I'm going to quote Jack O'Connor here: "Death does not come in degrees. Death is dead." 
And from a practical use standpoint, this guy was like East Coast, like Carolinas or something like that. Practical use standpoint, Eastern Woodlands, lever gun in the first place. This is not a long-range tool. 44 Magnum, 100, 150 yards, not even a chore. Generally speaking, with most people, you're looking at about a 200-yard round out of a 4570, especially with factory ammo and a lever gun, right? This isn't some match-grade sharps that somebody's working on 1,000-yard targets with, right? This is a lever gun. Having grown up in the eastern woods, never having had a shot on a deer over 100 yards, having shot deer at a range that, honestly, I probably could have thrown a knife and killed them, I don't think range is even an issue. From a lethality standpoint, in that situation, Black bear and deer in the eastern woods, there ain't a hill of beans of difference between the two. If you shoot something in the lungs with a 44, it's going to die. It's going to be a big hole. It's going to bleed a lot. It's not going to be hard to find unless you gut shoot it or something, and a 4570 won't fix that. So I would move toward the 44 in this position. Now, I own... Lever guns in 44, I own lever guns in 4570, and I own lever guns in 357 Magnum, and I love them all. From a standpoint of recoil, you're generally looking at like a 240 grain flat point. Is to me the optimum slug to put out of a 44 carbine. And you know, you're looking at something between 300 to 405 grains out of the 4570. Muscle velocity, not that much different. Heavier projectile. The 4570 beats the shooter up harder. The extra power doesn't come for free. And there are elevations in recoil where it feels to me like the elevation and performance of the round is worth the elevation and recoil. Like there is, it has such a higher level of performance at the terminal end that the recoil difference, let's say, between a 30-30 Winchester and a 30-06 Springfield is worth it. It is a dramatic difference in the field. If the if the 308 really had a, a significantly less recoil than some of its fans uh, claim, and it doesn't, but if the if the 308 had the recoil of a freaking 20, uh, 223. I don't think you could sell a 3006. I don't think anybody would buy it. They're so close in the field. Now, the 308 and the 3006 are closer in the field than the 44 and 4570. But you get my point. Like, they're almost the same, and the recoil's not that much different. But if the 308 really had that soft tapping recoil, it'd be real hard to th- sell a 3006 because what am I going to get out of it? 150 feet per second? In certain rounds, you go to the 4570, it hit, I, I have no problem shooting it. I enjoy it. But I'm not going to lie and say I have the ability to do follow-up shots with it with a lever gun, which is kind of the point of a lever gun, that I do with a 44 Magnum. 44 Magnum and a lever gun, it's like shooting a freaking 22. Like uh, I, People disagree with me when I say that. It's got some recoil, but it doesn't – I mean – you can stay on it. I, when I fire my 44s that have scopes, I see the impact. That's how little recoil there is. When I fire a 4570 with a scope, I'm going to make sure my position's right so I don't end up tattooed between my eyeballs from the scope. 
It's never happened to me, by the way, but I've seen it happen to some people. I don't want it to happen to me. Um, I would just steer toward the 44 here based on everything that I got in the guy's email. But I would not for a second hesitate to buy a Henry or a Winchester or an old Marlin or anything. In fact, all my lever guns are older Marlins, every one of them, um, <clears throat> including the one some of you guys gave me for my 10-year anniversary. Uh, Bum, Bumantu1 says, what about 444? Great round. Really like it, and it's a good way for me to finish this segment. Why is there a such thing as a 444 Marlin? Why does it even exist? And it's because to get the maximum potential out of the 4570, even what's possible in like a Marlin lever gun, you have to hand load or you have to buy from somebody like Double Tap or something like that, custom loaded stuff. The 4570 is old. It's older than most dirt in your in your gardens. Okay, it's very old, it's in the 1800s. And there's a lot of rifles out there, like old sharps and stuff like that, that were never designed to be used with modern smokeless powder. It was a black powder round. Right? In fact, the load is right in 4570, 70 grains black powder. And so there are some older guns out there that if you were to take like a maximum loaded full potential 4570 round and put it in it, it could blow the gun up. And so there's actually three levels of reloading for the 4570. There's all guns, there's lever guns, and there's like, there's people that have done like Siamese Mauser conversions or the Ruger number one, like they can handle the full potential of the 4570 where it's close to the power of a 458 Winchester. And I think you probably hate yourself if you're shooting those. Like you just, you're a masochist. You want to cause yourself pain. Unless you're in Africa hunting Cape Buffalo or something, there's just no need for this. And what that means is the potential of 4570 is not really realized. So the reason they made the 444 was because it was before they made the 450 Marlin, by the way, and they decided to try that. They wanted something that they could load to potential that didn't have that baggage along with it. Because no one wants to load the 4570 Siamese Mauser load and have some tool stick it in some old rolling block and blow their face off. So that's the whole reason the 444 Marlin was even made to, to have something about that size and about that caliber that would take the full potential of the rifle platform into a big board. And if they had come up with the 450 Marlin first, the 444 Marlin probably wouldn't even exist. And somebody also mentioned here, it's, it's difficult to find. And it is. And that's why I like the 44 Magnum. And so to say, well, what if you reload? Well, if you reload, then great. And then you can reload the 265 grain flat points that were developed specifically for, for the 444 into the 44 Magnum. And it's a sledgehammer on everything, you know, in the size range you would hunt with it out to 150 yards. An absolute sledgehammer. So I just like it better. I like more rounds, faster follow-up, less expensive to shoot, less expensive to reload for. Um, it, I just think it's a better way to go in that space. If, if When people start talking about distance, why aren't you talking to me about an AR platform or a bolt-action platform and something that's designed for distance? Why aren't we talking about a 
or a seven millimeter OA or a 30 cal? Why are we talking about big bore and distance? Those two don't really go together to me anyway. Uh, not in today's world anyway. Now, the last thing I had a question I want to go real quick on. Guys, growing Azola and Kitty pulls her tubs. I don't remember which. It's worked out really well for him up till now. And all of a sudden, he's starting to have a lot of algae problems. And generally, when you have algae problems in a system like this, it's string algae. It's kind of nasty. I have it in all my systems, by the way. You get this foamy-ass algae that floats up at the top and the stringy-ass algae on the bottom. And algae is seldom a big problem in a tank that is growing Azola effectively. And the reason is if you grow Azola effectively, you get a mat. Very little light gets through. And so the number one thing that fuels algae is nutrient and specifically nitrogen and light. It needs those two things. So the number one thing you can do if you're growing Azola and you're starting to have algae takeover is take care of your Azola. And so there's a couple of things that cause Azola to start dying back and let algae take over. One is it gets too hot and specifically too much sun. So this person didn't say where they're at geographically. By this time of year, you should be past that. But, you know, I got the email a couple of weeks ago. It could have been further back that the problem started. When it starts to get really intense sunlight, Azola will start to turn color. It will first turn this kind of reddish rust color and then a brown and then a black and then dye. So if you're noticing your Azola start to change in color from that bright, vibrant green, that's an Azola problem. And as soon as the Azola starts to have a problem, think about what you're doing. You're gilding by having something in a place, it prevents other things from being in a place. So as the Azola weakens, your, your algae starts taking all the excess nutrient and all the new sunlight it can get, and it starts to compete. And eventually, since it grows faster than the Azola, it can outcompete the Azola. So how do we fix this? Number one, remember that Azola is a nitrogen-fixing floating fern. It fixes nitrogen out of the oxygen in natural symbiotic relationships with the biology in the water, the same way a legume fixes nitrogen in nodules with bacteria in the soil. So the first thing you can do is whatever you're providing that is a nitrogen source, stop it. Stop it. Azola needs a little bit of potassium and a little bit of phosphorus, but it has no need of any supplemental nitrogen. It's one of the things that makes it so awesome. And you can take it and you can actually use it as a nitrogen source when you're using it as a fertilizer because it makes its own, which is really cool. So cut the nitrogen off. Number two, make sure, again, that we're not dealing with an over intense solar radiation situation. So maybe we go ahead and put a 30 percent shade cloth over the system or if it's a movable system, we move it. And that should do it now. There are some other things that we could do. One is um, barley straw. So barley straw, they don't even fully understand this yet, exactly biochemically how it works. But barley straw, when you put it in water, will affect the ability of most algae to reproduce. Algae reproduce, basically it divides, and it just keeps making more of itself. That's why it's so fast. It's cloning itself. 
So what algae ends up, what happens when you put barley straw into a system that's got an algae problem, it doesn't kill the algae. Algae doesn't actually live very long. It has to keep replacing itself, like your skin cells. So it shuts down the replication process, and the algae naturally clears up. So barley straw is another thing that you could try. Then there's nothing wrong with full reboot. These sounded like they were smaller tanks. Take uh, Gudazola out, clean out your system, reboot, start over, and reintroduce your Azola. Uh, when you take your Azola out, try to bring as little algae with it as possible and restart everything. But again, the number one things I'm going to say here are probably going on. One, it probably got too much sun or too much heat, and it just naturally weakened the Azola. Um, or number two, you got too much nitrogen in the system and you gave too much advantage to the algae. Now, another thing that cleans up algae real quick is, is crayfish. So if the system's large enough to handle crayfish in it, string algae anyway. Crayfish eat the hell out of string algae. I, I didn't know that until I found out by accident. I put some crayfish into a system that was full of string algae, and like two weeks later, there was hardly any of it left. And that's the only thing that changed. All right, I got a couple questions I'm going to take real quick, and then we're going to wrap up. Aaron said, why did Mossad not know this was going to happen? And if they did, why didn't they do anything and use the Iron Dome? Okay, so first of all, they did use the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome was extremely effective, and it knocked down the vast majority of the rockets that came in. And most of the damage that was done wasn't the rockets. It was the, the Hamas militants who sent their special operator-type guys with hand gliders over the fence they then demolished the fence, letting the others in who came in on motorcycles, jeeps, pickup trucks, and attacked the civilian population. So the Iron Dome did what it was supposed to do. I've heard various figures thrown out as to how effective it was. I've heard numbers as high as 97%. That's um, bullshit, okay? That's not true. And I've heard numbers that are more like 50, 60, 70%, which is probably somewhere in about there. This is what you have to understand. Every one of those missiles that goes up as part of the iron, there is no iron dome, first of all. There's no dome. It's air defense artillery. And every one of those missiles is expensive, very expensive, far more expensive than a simple long-range rocket. So you can make more rockets than you can make air defense artillery missiles. Just straight up economy. The other thing is these systems, and I know this because one of my good friends is in the uh, air defense artillery. He's a uh, first sergeant. He's been a drill sergeant. He's done it all in this exact space. And I talked to him about this with the ADA stuff that was sent over to Ukraine. The way these systems work is you can't protect everything. You just can't. And so you basically program the system to say these are the targets that need to be defended. You can't just defend Frank's house and Tom's house. You only have so much to work with. And so what happened was Hamas and whoever their surrogates were sent so many rockets, they overwhelmed the air defense artillery that they call the Iron Dome. Because there's no actual dome. Right? My wife is like, what, what do they mean dome? Do people live in a dome? Like, no, no. It's just... Basically, it's the ADA is pretty amazing. It's the equivalent of hitting a bullet with a bullet. And it's amazing how well it does work. Now, 
<laughs> the bigger question Aaron asked, though, is why didn't Mossad know it was going to happen? It's very hard for me to believe that an operation of this size went completely undetected. And that's why I say it's all very suspicious to me. It's all very suspicious. Um, <clears throat> Poet of the Fall 13 says, I shopped for new homeowner's insurance and only got one quote that was twice as high as my current price. Was told insurance companies are being very selective about accepting new policies. And that could be another big problem, right? Because it's one thing if you have that issue when you have insurance and you have your house. It's another issue if you're a buyer and you can't find insurance that's affordable to go with the mortgage you're seeking because the mortgage issuer is not going to issue the mortgage without the insurance. And they are going to factor the insurance cost into your ability to service the debt. So I can see a whole new thing happening here, except I'm sure there's some fail safes to try to prevent it where people go get their mortgage and then cancel their insurance. Because Tom said that's already happening in Florida. Uh, Ika Mouse says, how many city dwellers know how much fluoride is added to their water? World War II is an example of how fluoride is used to keep people placid and non-questioning, force feed the sheeple, uh, whatever. I have done whole shows on the dangers of fluoride. Certainly whole segments on the dangers of fluoride. And the fluoride that goes into your water is an industrial waste product. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, right? Might as well stick with that for the rest of the show, right? I'm telling you right now, if you went and got a bag of what your water company puts in your water and videoed yourself dumping that one bag of that shit into a creek, you will go to federal prison under the Clean Water Act. That's how much of the toxin it's considered. But when it's purchased by government and put in the water by government, it's okay. Well, because they know how much or whatever. But fluoride definitely is something that in large amounts in the human system creates major health concerns and is a pacifying agent. And World War II does bear that out. And you can do your own research if you want to know more. Uh, Question related to the IOTD item of the day. Can I run a 2,000 watt and a 2,250 watt generator in parallel? My answer to that, uh, to Lord Karma 88, is I don't know. That would be a question for the manufacturer of the product, and I'm not sure if you can run their generators in parallel um, if they are not the same size generator. My gut would be no, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But that does bring us to our item of the day today. Item of the day today is the WEN generator. It's a 2,000-watt inverter generator, and it is on deal of the day again today. It's been knocked down a bunch of times at this price, and it is, again, 339 bucks. It's a 2,000-watt inverter generator. It's quiet, starts easy, lots of great reviews on uh, YouTube. Plenty of people really love this thing. Uh, 2,000 starting watts, 1,600 running watts, and they do have a parallel kit for it. And the parallel kit will work with generators up to 3,600 watts. But, I, again, I don't know that you can mismatch your two generators and run that parallel kit. So that would be something I would say you have to look up. Maybe I'll throw that question to Sean Mills for an upcoming expert council show, uh, maybe work it in with another uh, question about generators if it's a quick answer. Uh, but I'm just not sure about that. Anybody here in the uh, live chat 
that knows the answers to that, you want to give me the answer or I'll put it out as we wrap up. You got until I'm done, which is about two minutes to get that done. Anyway, guys, in addition to the item of the day, which is the win inverter generator for 339 bucks shipped to your door, uh, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. The other thing you can do, and I don't really push it as much as I should because it is the number one way I pay the bills around here, is MSB membership. The Member Support Brigade gives you a lot of benefits. There's over 70 companies that provide discounts to you. Many of them are sponsors. Many of them are. I just got a fantastically wonderful email today from someone that used the discount code to buy uh, a still from Mile High Distilling. And they were ecstatic with the, how great Mile High was, the quality of the product, et cetera. And that's a big discount because stills are expensive. Uh, we have we have cannabis products like Akira Botanicals uh, and Angie's Gardens and things like that that are, you know, again, one order can basically pay back your entire membership. And if you like the show and the work that we do, then you want to make sure that we're not going to go away. And I do well for myself. I'm not going to lie or anything, but you know, if I don't continuously add members, I don't make up for the ones that leave. And eventually, you know, that won't be sustainable anymore. So I need to make sure that I remind you guys, it is important that we have paying members out there so that we can continue to provide the type of content that we provide. It makes us immune. I mentioned I had some legal paperwork. I won't go into it, but I have a lawyer doing some work for me right now. Again, it's not a problem or anything. It's just something that needs to be done. And uh, she's a young gal. She just got her uh, past the board or the bar like a couple of years ago. And uh, she asked me, she said, when she was asking me about what I do, she said, um, so have, have the council culture people come after you? And I explained to her how I do things. I'm like, it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't cancel me. I'm uncancelable, un, un, uncancelable a bull, right? <laughs> and it's because of you guys. And it's because I have a direct relationship with you. There's no, you can de-platform me, do whatever you want. I can still reach people. You can still find me. You can still get with me. And 50 bucks a year, I think, for what we do is totally within the value level, even if you didn't use the discounts. To me, if you're going to use a few discounts a year, you're going to get your money back. So do consider becoming a member today if you haven't already done so. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will be back tomorrow with another episode and uh, do my best for you then. I got one more question here. Jesse says, would you take a 44 mag into the Rockies and Grizzly territory? I absolutely would. Absolutely would. Uh, and I would be more likely to take it into the Rockies then into Alaska, because I'm going to have a lot less probability that I'm going to have to use it in the Rockies than I am in Alaska, especially if I'm in brown bear territory or something. If I'm really worried about bears, I'm looking at like 338 wind magging up. 338.06 would be like my minimum caliber if I'm going into bear territory for bears and have a reasonable potential to end up with a bear. However, let me say this. If my choices are a sharp stick, a club, a 22, and a 44, and there's a bear coming at me, I'm taking the 44. It is damn lethal. It's damn lethal. Uh, and one thing I don't think people get about Dangerous Game, they usually do a show on Dangerous Game sometime. And Dangerous Game can be because it has tooths and claws and it wants to eat you. And Dangerous Game can be it's just a really big animal that's pissed off at you. Like, I'm going to tell you, there's been far more people killed by Cape Buffalo in Africa than grizzly bears in the United States, just flat out. 
And a jagged buffalo is just a really big, mean-ass cow that can kill the shit out of you with its hooves, its horns, its body, and literally lick the flesh off your leg with its tongue. And the tongue of a Cape buffalo is like a bastard rasp, if you know what a bastard rasp is. Right? So both of those animals can be shot and dropped and anchored like shooting a freaking deer. It's when they're wounded or they're angry for some reason that all of a sudden that adrenaline goes up and now you can do things that would have killed them before and they'll kill the shit out of you before they die, right? And Jesse says bow hunting. So if you're going to bow hunt and you're taking a, 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 a firearm with you as a backup, the 44 Magnum would be a fine choice because you're probably taking a sidearm. You can only do so much. We can do a 50, right? AE or some shit or uh, a 454 Casol or whatever. I don't know that it would be that big of a difference. I don't know that it would, would matter that much. So I would, yes, I would take a 44 in that situation. Um, Bad Hawk says, can't bring a handgun into Canada, I don't believe. Uh, so maybe he was going, oh, he's going into Canada for protection. And so he can't, he can't bring it with you anyway. I, I don't know what you'd talk to you. If you're going to Canada, you have a guide, talk to your guide about what you should do. But I would not, I think the concern about grizzlies in the minds of people within the continental United States and Canada can be over, over believed in. Uh, most of the problems with these bears happen in places where the bears become comfortable with humans and people are stupid and feed them bread and shit like that and end up with their leg eaten off or something. Most of the incidences that are, let's say, organic bear encounters tend to happen in Alaska and up in that region of Canada. So talk to your guide on that one. But, uh, Hardway Homestead, Alaska says, I'm in Alaska. I use a 300 Win Mag and a 454 because sole handgun. Yeah, probably a great way to uh, outfit yourself. So it all depends what kind of bear are we talking about here. Grizzlies, dangerous. I mean, no doubt about it, but more people get eaten by brown bears than grizzlies. Just saying. All right, guys, with that, I'm going to wrap up. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. We'll have an expert council show on Thursday. I think we're just going to make the decision right now that next week, Monday, will be the day that we take off. We'll have four shows next week. They'll just start on Tuesday. And uh, not long after that, we're going to have the uh, TSP workshop. If you're coming to that, can't wait to see you. Catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Are going to bail you out just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way i